All right, we're back. <laughs> Technology is a wonderful tool in the right hands, wouldn't you say? And <laughs> before we get restarted, uh, before we get restarted, um, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm hoping Taylor. Yeah, before, before we get uh, too far afield here, let me thank our sponsors for bringing us Patriots in the Huddle, Episode 3. John Costello, uh, a friend carrying the Patriot Nation flag in upstate New York. John, thank you for your support. Cross Insurance, our friends Jonathan Cross and Drew Cota, um, bringing football for you to their hometown of Bangor, Maine. Thanks for your support over the years. The Sullivan Group, led by Pat's alumni, John Andrioli. Uh, John Andrioli, who provides uh, covering Patriots alumni with its risk management and insurance needs. Um, and Boston Private Bank and Trust, providing a full spectrum of wealth, trust, and banking services to Patriots alumni through its dedicated team, Rob Netling, Lisa Allen, and Brian Gregory. So we got that done. Thank you all for your support. And uh, needing no introduction whatsoever is my friend, my teammate, my draft mate, uh, Michael Haynes. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Pete. Long time no see. It has been a while. We've visited on the phone and, and texted back and forth uh, a little bit, but it's uh, it's great to see you, and I'm sure the fans of New England are uh, are, are going to be thrilled with uh, with our latest episode with you uh, being part of it all. I mean, you know, I don't even need to rattle off your accolades. People know um, what a terrific career you had. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we start with uh, 1976 uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year uh, with a terrific, what do you have, seven interceptions your rookie year or six? I think eight. Oh, well, well see, I sold you short already. Uh, yeah. Punt returns, kickoff returns, you did just about everything and recognized as one of the best uh, cornerbacks, um, not only in 1976, but in the history of the NFL. Last year, um, you were honored to be recognized as one of the top 100 players to ever play, not just your position, but the top 100 years, uh, or uh, top 100 players um, as the NFL celebrated its, uh, its, its century, uh, the, the 100 years of the being in the NFL. But it all started with the 1976 draft. Um, you were you were drafted uh, in in the fifth position, um, at then that was the Patriots regular uh, that was their regular pick uh, for that year. The the Patriots also inherited the 12th and the 21st pick that year with the Jim Plunkett trade. Plunkett was traded from the Patriots uh, to the San Francisco 49ers, and they accumulated uh, two the two San Francisco picks 12 and 21. The Patriots picked. Pete Brock in the 12th position and Tim Fox in the 21st position. And then the following year uh, got the San Francisco pick and they and they got Raymond Claiborne uh, in 1977. So Ray Clay was the uh, was your bookend on the other side and uh, and and so was the start of, of, of a great career with the Patriots. Yeah, that was a, that was the beginning of a, a lot of good draft choices. 
And, uh, you know, kudos to Bucko Kilroy and the, and the, and the staff then, and uh, also Chuck Fairbanks, who was actively involved in that. Um, it was um, very interesting, you know, for me, going from college to pro and going from a winning program, you had the same kind of experience, a winning right. program uh, to a team that hadn't been winning. Right. And uh, a lot of challenges, but, you know, I think it built good character in you and built good character in me and in Tim because all three of us came from great programs. Um, and um, the Patriots started to win, you know, with uh, adding a bunch of young guys. And so I wonder now, when I look at a team with a lot of young players, young rookies, um, how they're gonna how they're gonna pan out, how that team's gonna do. Um, we were blessed, we did have a preseason. Right. <laughs> and we did have some spring workouts, but the guys who are playing now, um, you know, it's, it's really got to be difficult for them. And, and hopefully they came from a, a top program that was always contending for a, a national championship. And they went into the regular season with the right attitude and, and um, feeling like they were prepared and all that. Right. You know, because they will be challenged. But if you have the right mindset, you know, it's, uh, it's still an experience um, that you, a lot of people probably don't understand. But um, the guys who've been in those shoes, they really do. And I, I just... I'm excited about this season, um, you know, for the Patriots. I'm excited about um, the alumni, um, you know, and the types of things that are going on in the communities, you know. So um, let's let let's 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 get the show on the road. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, yeah. well, but before before we we bring it all the way up to present, let's let's talk a little bit about what you brought up and and. You know, Chuck Fairbanks and Bucko Kilroy did an outstanding job of bringing personnel in, not just the 76 draft, but you take a look at the 73 draft when they when they got John Hanna, Sam Cunningham and Daryl Stingley, you know, and they yeah. and they sprinkled in with that a lot of veterans, people that that Chuck Fairbanks knew either from college or having played against them, bringing guys like in like Steve Zabel, uh, like George Webster, like, uh, you know, even in the second area, they they had some veteran presence that would bring the uh, the younger players along. You know, I mean, I had an offensive line when I showed up. Tommy Neville was on it. Tom Neville played. You know, he was on kind of the tail end of his career. I think he was in his 12th year. But my my first experience in training camp was to live with Tom Neville and learn the uh, the playbook because unlike you and Tim, I went out to Chicago and played in that Tribune All Star game, so I was late to camp uh, for two weeks. So what I'm saying is they sprinkled in enough veteran talent to all of that to really make a push at I think what could have been a, 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 a dynasty started uh, after that '76 season. Yeah, I you know that was a that was a great start and uh, I think um, you know a spark really for the the Patriots and and their their winning ways and they've continued even today but you know totally different with Belichick yeah. um, but um, but just to, to turn the to turn the, the tide you might say I can remember when we we had won two games and then we lost a game or something like that and and the, and the fans were were saying like uh, or I heard some fans saying. Oh well, yeah, it was great while it lasted, and uh, looks like they're getting they're going back to the Patriot ways. But we ended up playing great. I mean, we really did, and we beat some really good um, football teams. Uh, we outcoached some of them, and we outplayed some of them. Um, 
and uh, that was really a good start to to an NFL career. That was fun. Well, it really was. And that '76 season, we were the only team to have beaten Oakland. We played them, yeah. I think, the fifth or sixth game of the season uh, in Foxborough, and it wasn't just a beating; it was a drubbing. We, I mean, it was yeah. it was I think it was 48 to 14 or something. Um, if my memory serves me right, and then had a shot at him again out in Oakland in that infamous Ben Dreith game uh, for the for the playoff out there. And honestly, the run that we were on, I, I really believe if we had gotten by that Ben Dreith call, um, we had a fairly good chance of, of winning the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh was beat up. We would have had to face them the following week. They had all kinds of injuries. And then, uh, of course, ultimately having would have had to face the uh, Minnesota Vikings for that deal. But Oakland went on uh, to, to win the Super Bowl. And they, they deserved it. They up, you know, they they won the game. We just got hit with a hanky late in that one that uh, really still is yeah. the sour taste in my mouth. Well, that that uh, that game against the Raiders would have been my last game of the season, though. Um, you probably don't remember this, but on the day before the game, I was playing catch with Coach Fairbanks' son, one of his kids, and he threw the ball up kind of high, and I jumped up to catch it, and something popped in my calf. I actually pulled a calf muscle, oh my. and my leg swole up overnight. And so the next morning, I my leg was so big, I could barely put any pressure on it. I, I didn't know that if I was going to be able to make it or not. Um, that's the time when I started getting to really know the trainers a lot better. Saying, is there anything you can do? Can you give me a shot? Can you do something? You know, and they said, no, we can't do anything. I'm going, I, I hear, I hear they do things like this. Why, why don't we do anything like this? You know? <laughs> they, we just don't do that. And, um, and so when we went out as a team, I went out, I had all my gear on and I didn't run hardly at all. I just really was afraid I couldn't run. Uh, and, um, and, and when we went back in, I told the, um, the, the coach, I said, I, I, I'm not going to be able to go. He said, you got to go. Just give it a try. Let's see how it goes. I said, okay. So I gave it a try, and somehow I got through that entire game. Oh, my. Game. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> you know, covering Cliff Brandt. Right. A bad cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is that's unbelievable. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, you know, the Angels were watching over me that day, uh, and I ended up playing very well and, uh, you know, definitely good enough to win. But I don't think I could have made the next game, though, Pete. And um, and that would have been it. And, and and I don't know if you remember, Willie Germany was the guy that was backing me up. And um, I don't know if Willie would have been able to cover those those stealing receivers yeah. um, or not. I have no idea. But anyway, it was it's, it's fond memories. I like thinking back on that. But that was probably if, if someone said, you know, tell us some of the stupid things you did in your career. <laughs> That was one of them, <laughs> you know, I'm playing with that injury where I would have been been able to, you know, play one game and that's it. Uh, and then uh, even in the entire off season, I wasn't able to really work out because of that injury until training camp. Right. Um, so if I if we had, you know, maybe um, a good guy behind me that could run with Cliff Branch or or whatever, because I didn't I wasn't sure that Willie could. I don't. As a matter of fact, I know he could not mm -hmm. run with with Cliff Branch. Not a lot of people could. Right. Um, so anyway, anyway. I'm a darn. I, I, I think that's the bringing up those good memories. first time I, I realized that, I suppose. But, you know, I was on the opposite side and an offensive lineman, and I rooted for you guys and give us the ball back. And you did plenty of time that in that in that game. And we were up 21 yeah. to 
17 and that whole thing. And anyway, you know, and then, then we go from, we just talked about how the team had built up with Bucko Kilroy and, and with uh, Chuck Fairbanks. And then, you know, Chuck leaves the way that he left us in 78 and, you know, that, that things seem to kind of take a downward spiral after that. I mean, we, you know, 78, we had a, a really good team. We won the AFC East that year. Um, and then everybody knows, you know, the three hours before the game in Miami, the last game of the season, uh, Chuck gets fired. And then they bring him back to get us ready for that Houston playoff game, which just was, this was way too many distractions to make that happen. And then following the 1982 season, Mike, it was the Patriot purge. And we saw that whole team get decimated and broken up. Um, Ron Meyer came in, came on board. You left, Tim Fox left, Sam Cunningham left, Russ Francis left. I mean, that was, you know, that was an all-star team going to other teams in the NFL. And it just really uh, put a sour taste in everybody's mouth at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. But for me, it was, it ended up being a, a you know, a good time because we went on and won the Super Bowl. And, uh, and there were tons of my um, Patriot teammates on that team, you know, with Don Hasselbeck and uh, Shelby Jordan, you know. Um, so it wasn't like, I, you know, we were strangers there. We went over there and, um, you know, bonded with those guys pretty quickly because of our, our skill level, I really believe, and our knowledge. I mean, we were always well prepared as Patriots, even if we didn't win the game, we were ready to go. Right. Um, and so, um, so anyway, I, I, unfortunately I got my Super Bowl. I wish it had been with the Patriots. I definitely, when I was drafted there and I saw the kind of talent we had, I thought we were going to play in a ton of Super Bowls before it was all over. Uh, and that didn't happen until much later. Right. Well, and talk about Super Bowl, was it Super Bowl 18, wasn't it? That you went on and, and won with the Raiders. Yeah. You and you yeah. had a you had a terrific game. You had a and I had an interception in that game, if I recall, and and uh, and, and really was a, obviously a key cog a key cog in that whole defense. You went from you know bookend Raven Claiborne to bookend Lester Hayes. I mean, you you guys had a terrific uh, secondary uh, there with the Raiders. Yeah, I'd say I was pretty lucky in both places to have. The type of pass rush that we had, like remember the pass, pass rush with Tony McGee, oh, yeah. Julius Adams, you know, um, Mel Lunsford, Ray Hamilton, um, those guys would get after people, you know, and uh, so we, we, you know, and when I went to the Raiders, it was the same kind of thing, and it, except the Raider guys were younger with Howie right. Long, Hall of Famer, um, Greg Townsend, Ted, uh, Ted Hendricks, um, uh, Reggie Kinlaw, all these, you know, good players. Again, some of them were from Oklahoma, just right. like, like with the Patriots, they were from Oklahoma. And they, they were used to winning and they knew how to win. Uh, and we were able to put together a, a, a great season. And that Super Bowl was uh, a replay of a game that um, the Raiders had had on Monday night earlier that season. Uh, and um, the game was in Washington. And the Redskins came from behind to beat the Patriots at the end. So the, going into that Super Bowl, the Redskins were favored to win, and they were defending Super Bowl champions. Um, the only difference uh, in the second time, the second game, was Marcus Allen was healthy, and he played in this game, and I started on the, at the right corner. And so the, the other right corner would take the other team's best wide receiver. So we had three top-round 
picks um, starting in the secondary, you know, uh, in passing situations. So we were loaded and we had a great pass rush. So it was a, a different team just by, you know, me joining the team and Marcus Allen being happy. He, I mean, not happy, but healthy. Um, and happy. He ended up being the, um, the, uh, the, the um, offensive player or MVP of the game. Right. So. Well, he rushed for like 160 yards or 170 yards or something that day, didn't he? Yeah, well, like over 70 on one play, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, had a, he had a great game. That'll stat yeah. you up in a hurry, a run like that. Yeah. What um, what what would you say? And and I'm hoping we can, you know, we, this is being videotaped too, and we share this out with a lot of the um, the kids that we come in contact with with our football for you program that we do out in the communities. And I'm hoping that a lot of kids are are, are tuned in and watching. You know, I, I you had all the talent in the world. You had you know all the the the, the mental aspects of the game covered what what would you say is were the keys to your success mike i have to say it was my mindset you know i think it was the way that my parents you know raised me um how i thought about things um you know one um i grew up uh in a christian family christian household and we prayed about everything and um when I say that, I don't want that to be taken wrong. It wasn't like if I wanted something, my mom would, you know, just go pray for it or if I this or that, you know. Really, my Christian life changed more when I came to the Patriots. But but I have to give a lot of credit to my parents for the mindset that I had. Um, and in the, uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, it challenged me to be courageous. If I was, I couldn't walk around and let people push me around or talk poorly of me. I had to stand up for myself at a young age. And so I was used to doing that uh, at a young age. And I, I think those are the, the two things. And so later I learned to set goals. Uh, and, uh, and so um, I learned to set high goals. And like, what's the use of setting a low goal that you know you can achieve, you know? Uh, and so... I set really high goals, and that, that's really what I would tell kids today is like, you know, challenge yourself to learn all that you can and set your goals high and know what path you're on. I don't know if you can do that as a youngster, but, uh, you know, maybe when you're like college age, you know, that's when you start to think about that, those kinds of things. But my life, I'm 67 now, and my life has been an adventure um, the whole way, the whole time, and I, I realized all along the way, I, I had these, um, these little stops, mental stops. Like, as a kid, I didn't think I'd live to be 21. And then when I was 21, I didn't think I'd live to be 30. And then when I was 30, I thought I wouldn't make it to 55, you know. Um, but at 55, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And then when I, and I thought, okay, well, this is it. You know, and then I said, oh, no, no, we found it in time. We found it early. You're going to be fine. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I am going to set a goal with regard to how long I want to live. I'm going to try to live to be a certain age. So I said, I'm going to live to be 125. And so I got some of these these ideas from the Bible, actually. You know, like some of these people, the characters in the Bible would live to be really pretty old. So I said, I want to live to be 125. And um, now people are saying, People are going to be living into their hundreds. It's going to be possible. 
But when, when I was a kid, people seemed to be dying in their 60s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, but now, 125, maybe it's doable. So when I'm telling kids to set their goals high, set them high and understand that you got a long time to live. This politics and things like that when you're young, you think, ah, oh, it's not important stuff. Start to get involved in it when you're young so that when you, as you get older, you get wiser, you make better decisions. And our country benefits from all that uh, additional information in your life. That's terrific, Mike. That's terrific. I never, I never would have thought that setting a goal, I, I believe in setting goals myself. And I, that's, that's helped me through my life and situations because now you've got something, a reason to get up every morning and, and a reason to set yourself apart, to be different, um, to be special. But to set an age goal, I, I think that's, that's very commendable and very commendable. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thanks, Pete. It makes, you know, it'll force you to work out. You know, it'll force you to eat better. It'll force you to have a great relationship with your doctor. Um, when, if, you, if you think you're only going to live to be 60, all right, when your body starts to ache, you're going, well, I'm, I'm 56. My body's supposed to ache. You know, uh, but you just what really has happened is you stop exercising when you're in your 20s and 30s. You're running around and working out, and lifting weights and um, going fishing and very active. And then as you get older, you walk slower. You barely walk around the neighborhood. You, you still go fishing. You try to do the things you love, but you're not as active. And uh, I think when you change your you have a goal like live to be 125, you say, well, I need to start working out four or five days a week. I need to start adding miles to my workout. I need to do things that keep my heart up and heart rate, you know, going and all these different things. Uh, it's just a different mindset. And it's just, you know, I think that we are, we have more control over um, some of these things, at least I'm hoping we do, um, than we think. That I, I think that that placebo effect, <laughs> you know, really can help us. You know, if you really believe it's working, you know, that exercise is working and that, you know, it might work. Therefore, it does, right? If you take a look at, you know, yeah, look, therefore at, it does. look at the, the lifestyle that Tom Brady has adopted in, in, into, into his workout and routine and the things that he eats and the things that he's done, you know, so there's, there's, there's got to be something to it. No question. There's got to be something to it. Write a book, yeah. write a book does, so I can he, keep up with you. A, Huh? Write a book so I can keep up with you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll give it a shot. Right. So um, you you um, you have a son, Tate. Tate is up here in the Boston area at Boston College. Um, talk a little bit about what his experience is and what he's going through now, and how proud you must be of of the kind of guy he's turned out to be. Well, I'm, I'm super proud of him. He's a, he's a good guy, good kid, good student, um, good athlete, um, good person. He really is. In, in high school, the, his school, they were state champions. He was the quarterback. But at Boston College, they changed his position to, um, to quarterback. I don't know if it's because he's my son or what, you know, but uh, he is fast. He does have some athletic ability and um, he's a good learner, but there's, there's so much to learn to make the switch at that, that time. 
Um, but right now, because of the pandemic, I think that they are going to give all these kids like an extra year. Mm. You know, even if they play some games this year, they still get another that season that acts like it's a free season. So I'm sure that in the time that they've um, been giving him now to really stay in college and be a college player, he'll he'll have enough time to become an expert at it. And uh, I, sometimes I wish he were closer to home so I could help more. Uh, but with, if there was no pandemic, I could go out there and help him there. And so I'm hoping that we'll get this behind us and I'll be able to go help out a little bit more. But he loves it out there. He's having a good time. Um, it's a good school, great alumni. Um, so, you know, I don't think he has any regrets. Mm -hmm. I know I don't have any regrets for him. Right. Well, that's that's terrific. And you're you're out in San Diego now. So, yeah, you can't get much further away, can you? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and still be in the U.S. of A. That's for sure. Mike, t t uh, talk a little bit about um, uh, what what you did after football. I know that that you had uh, you were with the NFL. You worked in the league office for a bit and a bit of time. But but talk about some of your experiences off the field and after you retired from football. Well, when I when I first retired, um, I, I had to go back to school. Um, before I retired to get to finish my degree because I, after uh, after we were drafted, I dropped out of school uh, and just started preparing for um, for the pros. And really, it was a naive thing that I did. That you know, one of those things you go, God dang it! Oh, why didn't somebody tell me? You know, <laughs> um, I'll never forget that. But um, uh, so so I I did finish up with my degree while I was um, playing on the Patriots. I worked at uh, a company, a money management firm called State Street Research and Management in the off seasons. And I thought that's really what I would do uh, when my career ended. I would just go working in Boston and uh, hopefully become a money manager and, um, and have a, a nice career doing that. But I got traded uh, in a sense. I mean, it really wasn't a real trade. It's, it's a long story, but I ended up going to the Raiders. Um, and when I got there, of course, they were now in Los Angeles, not Oakland. And that's where I'm from. So I was back home. So um, it was it had been hard to go back to Boston to work there. But now all of my family and everybody was with me in Los Angeles. Um, so um, when my career ended as a player, the first job I had was a broadcaster. I was doing um, college football games. Uh, the, Pac, the, the Arizona State was, um, I believe they were in the pack at that point. They were in the, it was called the Pac-10. It was Pac-8 when we were in school. Right. Um, Arizona, Arizona State joined that conference. So I became a, a broadcaster and I was doing that. I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. I felt like it's a, you know, I'm a natural. I'm a, the only reason I'm a natural is because, one, I grew up in Hollywood. I, I you know, used to love pretending to be broadcasters, you know, all the time when my friends were playing. Um, so I enjoyed that. And I knew the game really well. I knew what coaches were probably thinking. I knew what players were probably feeling. Uh, and so I could I could share a lot of good information. So that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, but then um, I got divorced, uh, and I had a, a you know kind of a money challenge mm -hmm. with the with the divorce. Uh, and so uh, I needed to get another job. So I got a job working at Callaway Golf, and I was their global licensing manager. Uh, at the time, they were uh, between the, them and TaylorMade as who was who the number one golf equipment company was in the U.S. Callaway uh, won that battle while I was there, um, and um, but 
while I was there, they asked me if I really liked broadcasting. I said, why? They said, well, we'd like you to stay on here and, you know, you know, get more involved in our company. I said, well, I said, the only reason I do the broadcasting is because of my divorce. I need to take care of my, my wife and my ex-wife and kids. Um, and they said, well, what if we gave you that amount? I said, well, I quit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I got out of it and uh, started working full-time there. Uh, and, um, and I really loved that job. But then Mr. Callaway died, and he was a good friend. Uh, and the, the new CEO came in, was a little bit different personality. And I felt like the, the company wasn't the same culture that I had been used to there, that you know, drew me there. Uh, and so I uh, started really looking around on the side, and I heard about an opportunity in the NFL, and I interviewed for that job. And it was, it was perfect for me because it was involving working with players uh, and helping players transition out of college and into the pros. And then if you're in the pros, then helping those players prepare for transition back into normal life. So we had a lot of different programs with that. We also had some with former players. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and um, that was really, I guess, the last salary job I had, you know, was was that. And I left that job because of uh, cancer. I was diagnosed with, with uh, prostate cancer. Uh, and, um, and now I've beaten that. Now I'm doing a lot, a lot of consulting, work with a lot of companies on, on uh, different awareness campaigns um, for, for cancer and for CTE and all kinds of different things. Health and wellness, that's, that's where I am now. You know, to get to be 125, I'm going to have to get a lot smarter and get educated. So I, 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 picked, a, I picked a career where I'm always going to be around people trying to make life better for people. Oh, that's terrific. That's really terrific. And that's a and that's something that you can do. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If you're gonna to live to be 125, you can do that to your 120 years old. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, if, if uh, any of our listeners, and I must apologize once again for the technical glitch that we started this whole program with. We try to get this off at four thirty and, and uh, I don't know, again, technology is a great tool in the right hands and so I apologize for that, but I want to encourage our listeners or watchers or viewers actually uh, to come up with any questions that they might have. You can go ahead and, and, and type those up in the chat area on Facebook Live and we'll feed them to Michael. We do have one question here. Mike, what do you consider your greatest play? My greatest play? Your greatest wow. play. Um, hmm. That's a good question, and um, I, the one that popped into my head first was the Patriots had never had a punt return for a touchdown in their history, <laughs> and I remember as a as a, a drafted player, and I said that's that's not the last, <laughs> um, and and sure enough, the very first time I actually had a chance. To score, I don't know if you remember. That. I do remember. I know right where you're going but, with uh, this. <laughs> uh, but it was um, a game against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland, and um, it's a preseason game, and so that means that it didn't really count. I uh, wouldn't have counted as a record. But in that game, I re uh, it was a return. I think return right or left. It wasn't in the middle. I know that. Right. 
And so I started running to the right, and I didn't think I was going to get to the wall. And so I stopped and, and thought, oh, I think I can beat these old guys. That's what I started thinking. You know, this, this old Cleveland Brown. I can beat these old guys to, to back to the left side of the field. And so when I stopped and turned around and started running, I realized that they weren't even taking an angle to catch me. They were all taking an angle to cut me off. I'm going, dang, these guys are smart. <laughs> They're not trying to catch me because I knew they wouldn't, but they could cut me off. They have an angle. And so I, I realized it wasn't going to work. I stopped and I started running back. And I said, oh, gosh, how long have I been running already? I said, I'm just going to cut up and just get what I get, you know. And so I cut up and, whoa, man, it's daylight, big old hole. I'm just running up the field, right in the middle of the field. And, I, and I, uh, as I get closer to the end zone, I start to see this brown dirt, you know, and I see the fans. And I'm, I'm going, what the heck is going on there? That's when I realized I'm in a baseball stadium. Uh, and um, and the, the fans are getting closer and closer. And I said, I must be close to the end zone. I must be in the end zone. So I looked to the left, and I saw one of the pylons. I said, yep, sure enough, I'm in. And I spiked the ball. <laughs> and I spiked it before I actually got into the end zone. <laughs> uh, I do. So before, uh, that was like one. That was one of the most unforgettable plays, um, and always will be for me. I do remember that you spiked it. it was just about the five yard line, and and you know for yeah. for fan for fans now, you know you're used to seeing football played in a football stadium. There there was no you know there's no more of these combination stadiums, but you know and and Cleveland, the mistake by the lake, we were playing in that horrible place, and and. You know, and they had, they had the the. It was either the warning track that you spiked it on, or identify that as the goal line, or it was the infield. You know, it was one or the other. But um, you know, that people fans just don't understand some of the places that we played in were. You know, Shea Stadium back then. Shea Stadium looks like, you know, a palace now. But they had uh, nails driven into the wall, and that was your locker. If you you know, if you remember some of those. Things. <laughs> Yeah, this is where you hang your jersey. Exactly. Well, here's one. Um, as uh, such a great uh, returner, did you ever try to get in some offensive plays or trick plays? You know, before um, you answer yeah, that, I'll never uh, forget you saying to me one time that, you know, as great a cornerback as you were, that you would have made an equally fantastic wide receiver. Wouldn't you agree with that? I, you know, that was my passion. Um, I, you, you may or may not remember this, but um, I had, um, like, I think it was the 1980 season, I had a collapsed lung, and I, I had, they, were putting, they put me on injured reserve. And, um, and so that meant that no matter what, I was going to be out a certain amount of weeks. And so uh, in practice, I'd get over, and, you know, the offensive guys, they were working off of a card. The coach would hold up a card like you see in youth football. Right. You know? And they said, okay, and say, um, and I'd say, okay, I'll be that guy. And so I would go run the route of their best, the other team's best receiver because I just got to watch that on film with all the DBs, and I wanted to give the guy a good look, a good picture. Um, and so that was the most fun for me for those weeks that I got a chance to run routes as a wide receiver. But I, I think I could have made it into the league as a wide receiver. Um, I don't know that I could have been one of the best of all time, you know, I uh, had the same kind of career, but um, is it, you know, one one question that I never got answered for myself was, 
would I focus on catching the ball if that safety or linebacker's got a bead on me and he's coming right at me? I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. You know, if I could go deep and make diving catches, jump over people to catch it, I could do all of that. But I don't know that I could catch the ball with the guy. I know he's, he's just focused on me. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you could have run an offense like Cliff Branch, would just run as far and fast as you can and we'll try to get you the ball, you'd have yeah. been all right with it. So were you any, you were, you never took an offensive snap or were, were you involved in any trick plays, I guess is the question. No, I, I never was. Only in, only in practice. So beside yourself, who do you think is the best overall defensive back in NFL history? Let's make that cornerback in NFL history. Uh, you know, I really, one of the things I've learned is that um, I can only speak for the guys that I've seen play, um, the guys that I know, and um, and there are plenty of guys that have played even since I've retired that are in the league now or have already retired um, that I've never got a chance to see play. And I and I always I and I realized the importance of um, PR and how uh, you know a, a team with a good PR person can really make a guy seem great uh he's always in the news and always in the press and everything but he may not be one of the better players and so so i i've always i tried to stay away from those kinds of answers and i, I apologize to uh to the person who's asking this question but i just don't i my i, I give somebody a lot of credit and i don't know if he really deserves it and right. i don't even know if i'm right i wish i was right um so i, I apologize but I, I can't answer there are so many good ones um and even even some that i think should be in the hall of fame you know good guys that have had i thought excellent careers guys that i looked up to uh and and enjoyed playing with um that aren't in the hall of fame you know like raymond claiborne is one of those guys right. lester hayes is another I thought both those guys were like awesome corners. Uh, and um, there's other guys who will say, this guy had a gazillion interceptions. That's why he should go into the Hall of Fame. And I say, dude, you have no idea. I could play eight games and I might have four passes thrown on my side of the field in eight weeks. How am I going to leave the league in interceptions? Right. I can't. Um, so so anyway, that I appreciate those that question, but... Um, it's really too hard for me to answer. Well, no question. And then you, you, you compare, you're comparing, you know, different generations of players and different defenses that they they ran or faced. You know, the generation before us, they ran they ran four three defense cover one, you know, and they got really good at it. You know, and and you know, man coverage downfield, and that's what they did. And now you watch the game now, and it's hard pressed to some of the combination coverages you see. At the snap of the football, I have no idea where these guys are going. You know, everybody calls yeah. it cover two, but I, I, it, it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's hard to gauge it that way. So here's here's the last one. Who was the toughest receiver you ever had to cover? You mentioned Cliff Branch, but he was one of them. <laughs> but um, there were a lot. I will just tell you that there were there were a lot, and uh, and I covered a lot of wide receivers that were just really really tough to cover. Um, but I have to say the toughest 
And I never really was honest about this until I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, was Carol Carmichael. Oh, wow. And it was only because of his height. You know, so because of his height, it was the equivalent of being a 4-2 guy, you know. Uh, if, the, if he were playing today, he would be the type of receiver that everybody would want to have on their team. Like a LeBron James playing a wide receiver. Right. You know, you don't, you know, um, you don't need a guy to, to run and, you know, all the way down the field, score a touchdown on every pass to him. You just need him to be in a position where he can catch every pass you throw to him. And Harold Carmichael being 6'8", um, was when, when I'd be running on a deep ball with him and I'm like looking up, I'm going, dang, where's this ball going? It's so high, you know? And, uh, and then Josh, it drops right into his hands or whatever. So um, he's really... He was the toughest guy, and uh, fortunately for me, in those days, um, quarterbacks were not throwing 40 times a game. You know, right. <laughs> throwing right. maybe 20. <laughs> and and you didn't, as a as a Patriot slash Raider, you didn't have to face Philadelphia that many times. So, you no. know, <laughs> so that's good. It wasn't like you were in that division and having to do that every time you lined yeah. up either. Yeah. You know, so yeah. No, you know, and and but I, the guys in but the guys in the AFC AFC uh, East with you know with with the Dolphin receivers, with the Buffalo receivers, with the Colt receivers, right. um, the Jet receivers. I mean, those guys were all fast and they were all hard. So I don't want anyone to think that I, I covered them like a blanket and they were easy for me. Man, I had to be in the best shape of my life on the, in the be on my A game all the time. And fortunately, I stayed healthy, and I was able to do that most of the time. Well, and, and you, the, the one team that you failed to mention in, in your evaluation of the AFC East was the Patriots. And i got to plug Stanley Morgan one more time. Because, if, you know, so you, oh, you talk God. about – Don't ever have to play with me. I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, that's a name that never comes up for Hall of Fame. And how, how is you it know, that but... – how is it that can't be? 16-year career, Michael, and he averaged 19.2 yards a catch. 19.2 yards a catch. That th Those numbers, Randy Moss and everybody said could stretch the field like no one's business, 15.8. Stanley Morgan, 19.2 yeah. when he caught the ball, every time he caught the ball. Just phenomenal. Hey, I, I've seen Stanley do some, uh, some of the most unbelievable things. I'll never forget the one time when um, you know, Grogan's, Grogan was in trouble, and he just started rolling out to his right, and Stanley started running across the field towards him. But that's the longer Steve waited to throw the ball, the more he was running into traffic. And then Steve just realized, oh, crap, I'm not going to be able to throw it. I'm just going to throw it away. And he threw it behind Stanley, way behind, like, say, five or ten yards behind him. He stopped on a dime and turned after running full speed already. Stopped, <laughs> turned, and caught it. Right. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I have still not seen anyone else do anything like that. Right. Uh, and the, the guy who is playing in the league right now that has Stanley's type speed is that kid at Kansas City, that Tyreek Hill. Right. That dude, if you ever watch that guy warm up for a game, it'll just, you're, just, you're going to be mortified. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, Stanley was like that. Right. That's the kind of speed that Stanley had to stop on a dime, start on a dime. And, um, yeah, yeah. If he were playing today, oh, if he was playing today, it was just like he'd be in the Hall of Fame for no sure. No question. There's no question. I yeah. mean, he's one of the greatest receivers I've ever had a chance to be a teammate with. 
Yeah. And um, and I've and I've had a lot of lot of lot of teammates. Yeah. Well, he and you know. Uh, we're talking about him now, but he, he's joining us on our on our fourth episode. He'll be he'll be uh, next Thursday. Uh, we'll have the the distinct pleasure of having Stanley Morgan uh, on in the huddle. So anyway, so stay tuned awesome. for that. And I don't know who will be our sponsors next week, but sponsors that brought Mike Haynes to <laughs> to our front right here is my friend John Costello. You know, who's out in upstate New York and a huge Patriot fan. It's where it's a tough. Tough geography to be a Patriot fan. We have Cross Insurance, um, where security meets strength. Jonathan Cross, our friend Drew Coda, um, they've been behind bringing football for you to the kids up in Bangor, Maine for the last several years. The Sullivan Group, led by Pat's alum, John Andrioli. They're covering Patriots alumni with its risk management and insurance needs and Boston Private Bank and Trust, providing a full spectrum of wealth, trust, and banking services the Patriots alumni through its dedicated team, Rod Netwing, Lisa Allen, and Brian Gregory. So, and and Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking, um, you know, so much time out of out of your busy day and and things that you've got going. Let's stay let's stay in touch. Uh, promise that when you come up to see Tate play at Boston College, when when uh, some of this stuff gets over and you your feet feel free enough to travel. Make sure that you look up, uh, give me a call, and, and see if we can't get you involved in some of the things that Patriot alumni are doing out here in the community. You know you always have a home here in New England. Well, I appreciate that, Pete, and I, I definitely would take you up on that. Uh, I still love coming back to New England, and um, my son loves it there. So, you know, you never know. He may want to live there when it's all over. So I'll have plenty of reason to come back. Uh, anyway, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Reminiscing with you has uh, been a lot of fun. Well, we, there's, there's more where that came from, that's for sure. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for doing it. So at this point in time, uh, viewers, watchers, fans of Patriots and, and Patriots alumni, we're going to bid you adieu until we uh, start this over again next Thursday at 4.30. Make sure you tune in and, uh, and, and hear from, the, from the, uh, the great and glorious Stanley Morgan. So with that, adios.